Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast as we wrap up the 22-23 basketball season. We'll talk about the Final Four and National Championship game with UConn cutting down the nets. Also, a little later in the show, we're going to break down all 1,200 names in the transfer portal, plus what's happening in coaching news and our spoiler-filled Mandalorian update. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. What's going on, man? Oh, man, I, my pain is over, finally. The, the, my bracket is uh, the final uh, nail in the coffin was last night. Although, you know what? There was a worthy champion crowned. I was a fool not to see it. When the brackets were released, like our buddy Seth Greenberg, uh, I really liked UConn when I, when I saw them play in December. And they had a little struggle mid-year. And I sort of got off the boat for a little little bit. It just seemed to me like maybe they didn't have a true point guard and they couldn't overcome that. But uh, Tristan Newton, you know, he had 19 and uh, 10, I think, last night. And, and he was a huge weapon because they wanted him to drive it uh, against the San Diego State guards, and he, he was the, one of the men of the hour and and really of the season. And I've I've learned a couple of things, Kevin. As, as long as you cover a game, and you you've got to grow along with it. And and I think uh, you know they say defense wins championships, but offense makes it a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> sure does. And I, I think that in preseason now, as we put together Blue Ribbon. You can't just look at these old metrics like returning starters. That's almost irrelevant. I mean, UConn had two returning starters, but they really dipped into the portal and made some great acquisitions. Uh, K-State was a scorched earth program and got to the Sweet 16 with, with a bunch of portal guys. It's just a new era. And, and the other thing I'd say is that shooting has become so important. I, I've talked to more than a few coaches in the last week, including some some people that, that that are recent converts, I would say that that you have to have three to four guys on your team that shoot at high thirties, low forties from three, if you want a chance to go, make a deep run. And I really believe that's true. If, if if you look at the teams that have won the recent NCAA championships. Villanova in their two shot at 50% in 12 games from three. And UConn, uh, they just dusted people in this tournament. And, in fact, the whole year they were 17-0 against non-conference opponents and won by an average of 24 points. So I think three-point shooting is 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 imperative. If, if not only do you want to make a deep run, but if you don't want to have a heart attack doing it. Yeah. Uh, if you want to – you know, put games away and rest easy. You got to have people that can score. Yeah, I think that's very well put. And even going into the championship game between UConn and San Diego State, I said I just didn't think the Aztecs had enough firepower to have a chance to win that game. They made a little run. They cut it down to five in the second half. UConn went on to win seventy six fifty nine. Uh, the Huskies led by double figures most of the game. They were up by 12 at halftime. You mentioned Tristan Newton. He had 19 and 10, and Sonogo had 17 points and 10 rebounds. And they had a lot of contributions by different guys and hit some big shots. But 
you know, the Aztecs just had long stretches without field goals. I mean, they, they just could not muster any offense. They couldn't hit anything. Um, UConn shot 24 out of 27 from the foul line. That was a big difference, too. But San Diego State, 32% overall and 6 out of 23 from 3. You just can't go big stretch. You can't go 10-minute gaps between field goals and a national championship game and really have a great chance to win. Uh, for Danny Hurley, uh, led the program to their fifth title in less than 25 years, going back to 1999. All their championships have been from there to here. And also, you think about what happened at the end of Kevin Ollie's tenure there after he'd won the, the title back in 2014. But it feels like Danny Hurley also finally gets the notoriety that he deserves, Chris, among his own family, which is so famous with their, you know, their father uh, in New Jersey and, and Bobby Hurley and, and the work he did you know, as a player and as a coach. But it, it was neat to see Dan Hurley have that moment and, and get up there and cut down the nets and, and his family there to support him as well. It really was, and from all accounts, um, I don't, I don't, I've never had the chance to work with Danny or, or getting to know him as, as well as some other coaches. But by all accounts, he's a great guy that that maybe was let his emotions get the better of him at times, even within this season. And I think he grew as a coach uh, along with his, his team. And if you think about his family, you know, Danny obviously with Duke and the national championships. His father won 28 high school championships at St. Anthony's in, in Jersey City. And and now Danny can, can stand tall along those accomplishments. And it's a great family, uh, family of immigrants uh, that, that found a home and built a life here. And I didn't know this, but but Bobby Sr. had a chance to, to uh, become a, an assistant coach at Xavier and had taken the job came back home to, to tell Danny and Bobby and they flat out refused. Uh, <laughs> they didn't want to go. They, it was their time to, to be at St. Anthony's and, and uh, Bob senior decided that that was true. Uh, it was, he needed to be there. And, and, and until the school closed, he was there and affected the lives of thousands of people. Uh, all the kids, not only that played college basketball and not necessarily at the D one level or in the NBA, but just went to college, people whose lives that he affected. Uh, that's tough to. That, that's a tough legacy for for Danny. And there was a time in his career where Danny just wanted to be rid of it, uh, just wanted to walk away from basketball. But a cooler heads prevailed, and I was really happy for him. Even though I don't know him, I've only watched him from afar. Uh, he seems like a great guy, and and he wears his emotions on his sleeves like you figure a Jersey guy might and uh tells you what he thinks and i'll tell you what this was a dominant run it was almost anticlimactic this tournament because if you look and i and i looked up their numbers uh you know they beat iona 87 63 saint mary's 70 55 arkansas 88 65 gonzaga 82 54 miami 72 59 and finally last night 67 59 and they shot it Super well from three, 44%, 45%, 45, 35, 35, 35 in their last three games. So that kind of firepower, they're also good uh, from the three-point line. I'm not saying it's just a three-point game. I had They, they had the best big man tandem in, in the country, uh, I think, and, and depth out, out the wazoo. I, it's just – it's an example of how quickly things like the NIL and portal can help you not just even rebuild, but just build yeah. uh, from scratch. 
a, a team uh, because they only had two starters coming. Well, granted, one of them was Adama Sanogo, who's awesome and was the tournament most valuable player. But yeah, it's a different era. I'm going to have to start thinking differently, uh, not only in putting together my book and my preseason rankings, but my freaking bracket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people might be uh, looking at it differently after this year. It, it would be interesting to yeah. see what some of the winning totals were uh, in, in bracket contests where people actually won. You know, I, I said this when Villanova won the championship back in 2018. Some years you can play the tournament 10 times and have 10 different winners, and other years you could play it 10 times and have the same champion. I thought that was the case for Villanova that year. and I, I, In the end, I, I think that was probably the case for UConn this year. If you played this tournament 10 times, they would win most of them. They were just clearly the best yeah. team and they were dominant throughout the whole thing you talked about on saturday they beat miami in the semifinals uh 72 59 in houston the first game was a thriller though san diego state advanced with that buzzer beater win over fau 72 71 the owls led by double figures most of that game san diego state made a great comeback and then you had the great finish as time was running out you wondered what uh, lamont butler was going to do he pulled up and took a jumper and drilled it from the right side. And I said it was reminiscent to me of the Michael Jordan shot uh, for North Carolina against Georgetown in 1982 in the Superdome. It was from the other side of the court. But there was something about, yeah. especially seeing the, the long shot from the other end of the floor, it was the way his hand was on the ball and, the, and his release. It, it looked to me very much like Michael Jordan. I went back and I found that clip and, and found the photos of it and sort of compared them, and I, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. It was pure for sure. It, it really no was. I mean, it. he just drilled it. It was nothing but strings. But I, Brian Dutcher did a great job with that team. Who knows when you know a program like San Diego State might be back in that spot again? And, and I thought he was really classy after the game uh, against UConn. Said, "Hey, you know, we just got beat by the best team." But uh, tip of the cap to San Diego State, uh, which got farther than they'd ever gone, you know, by a long shot in that tournament, and uh, came up short against UConn. But won a thriller on Saturday, and it was a heartbreaker for FAU. You thought the you know, the Owls might be on the way to the title game on Monday night, but uh, it was San Diego State. Yeah, um, you know, San Diego State's quietly. I think they're third in, in Division One and overall wins uh, during the last five years or so. They've quietly gotten the job done. Not a lot of people, unless they're nerds like us, stay up late enough to watch them play. But <laughs> uh, Coach Dutcher and before him, Coach Fisher just did a great job rebuilding that program. I remember as a young sports writer going to San Diego, they used to have a, an in-season Christmas tournament, and they were terrible then, and there was nobody in their arena. And it's just so much different than that now. A couple other things that, that stood out to me, this tournament was affected by injury more than any I can think of in recent memory. If you think of it, UCLA had two starters out. Texas lost Dylan DeSue, and they, they were a team that people thought could go all the way. Kansas lost Bill Self, uh, their yeah. coach. Uh, a lot of people thought they could repeat. Just a week or so earlier, the Athletic in a poll had uh, voted Bill Self the game's best late-game tactician. Uh, Tennessee, which a lot of people thought could get to the Final Four and, and really gave it a shot, even without their point guards, the guy Ziegler, who's one of the best defenders in the country. So injuries sort of helped pave the way, too, and obviously the upsets. Uh, like I said last week, I don't care how many times you pick it, I'll never, ever pick Fairly Dickinson to beat Purdue. I've yeah, just, I'll never learn my lesson. I, I just can't do it. And then a couple teams, and, and maybe it's regional bias, but I thought Mizzou and Texas A&M 
underperformed relative to the way they played late. And I thought both of them had deep runs in them. So sometimes the more you know, I think, uh, the more it hurts you in, in these things. But you just – you have to change with the game. And I certainly, over the years, under uh, my leadership, I've tried to make Blue Ribbon as relevant and make as many changes – as I can, and and I'm I'm going to have to continue to change because with the NIL, like I said, in the portal, uh, you can rebuild. I've talked to several coaches just in the last week about this. One coach said, "Wow, you know, it's really a crapshoot to get good intel out of the portal." And uh, I won't give details, but this this particular coach had ample reason not to be worried. When it becomes obvious and what I think happens will happen, I'll say it on a podcast, but I said, dude, you can make a couple of moves right now that you do not have to worry about. But I see his point, though. You you take somebody you don't know, but then like our friend Andy Kennedy says, hey, we're a portal team now. Uh, he got to the finals of the of the NIT with a team that was basically all transfers. So it's it's a new era out there. The other thing that I thought was cool – they didn't show Bill Murray, uh, but they showed his son, Luke Murray. And I, I thought it was fitting because Luke w- was coaching at Louisville with Chris Mack. And things weren't going well for Coach Mack. And he fired Luke, who was a friend, and Dino Gaudio, who was a better friend. And and then, or at least of course, used to Chris be. himself. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then uh, Chris himself and Louisville parted ways and I just thought it was so cool because Luke Murray is considered one of the best recruiters in college basketball. And to see him on that sideline and know that he was a big part of putting this team together, it's just – it was good for a good guy like that. He had been with Coach Hurley before at a couple of his previous stops, uh, Wagner and Rhode Island. And now for them to be reunited and to win the Natty, that's just really cool. And somehow uh, CBS resists the urge to, to flash Bill Murray in the stands or – at least not that I saw. Uh, by the way, Chris Mack, I heard him on a podcast. Uh, you, you might wonder how the coaching carousel passed him by. It was by design, apparently. And also, uh, if I had a $4.8 million buyout, uh, you'd never hear from me again. So <laughs> I've said that before too. If, if somebody's going to pay me that kind of money to go away, then uh, no question, I, I might be uh, off the radar for just a little bit. Uh, we'll get to coaching news in a second. It was also the last call for Jim Nance uh, and for college basketball. He'd been on the Final Four and championship game for over 30 years. Uh, signed off with, uh, thank you for being my friend, as they went off the air toward the end. And yeah. he came back and did the trophy presentation. But I, I thought the whole thing was really well done. Some nice tributes, and, and the fans saluted him. Uh, they actually recorded an interview over at the Curb Center at Belmont a few weeks ago. Uh, he did with Dana Jacobson for CBS for their morning show. And, uh, oh, that's right. He lives in Nashville. Yeah, he lives right? in Nashville. So yeah, he was over at the curb, and they did that. But yeah, you know, he, he's just so used to hearing his voice on those games. I and Eagle will take over next year, and he's a fantastic announcer and broadcaster, and actually know him, gotten to know him a little bit, which is super cool. But uh, salute to Jim Nance, who I always say this uh, first week in April is the coolest week to be a broadcaster because he gets to go do the final four and then from there he goes straight to yeah. augusta and does the masters the same week to me i just can't imagine what that would be like but uh, he, he's done a great job for a long time and a good ambassador for the sport and a good host and uh, i just always thought uh, very classy and, and, and does a great job it's amazing to me how 
how how fast time goes. He was he was like the punk, you know. Yeah, he was the young guy. Old. Yeah, back in the eighties, he, he was that job. And you look at those old clips; he looks so so young. And and uh, but they they placed a lot of faith in him because he had talent. And I can't believe he's walking away. By the way, I I, I got to mention one of the coolest things I've ever done in sports. I did the rare double uh, w- one year when. Uh, the final four was in Atlanta. I went to the Masters practice round on Monday and then got to the championship game on Monday night. This was despite suffering food poisoning from a bad shrimp at the Nike party. <laughs> I had to suck back about a gallon of, of Pepto-Bismol, and uh, I was scared every step of the way, but I said, there's no way I'm not going to do this. And I got it done. Practice round Monday morning at Augusta, uh, Nash, the Natty that night in Atlanta. So uh, that's pretty impressive. I don't know that I'll ever top that. No, I don't think you will either. My, my, I guess my best uh, two a day story would be a few years ago when I worked a football game. Vanderbilt played at Florida in Gainesville. It was an 11 a.m. Central Time start. We did the game, flew back, and I went to the Rolling Stones concert that night. That that was oh, probably wow, a, yeah. one of my better ones. Yeah, I was supposed to go with you to that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've done I I've done basketball and football on the same day. Uh, I did Vanderbilt's win at Tennessee. Uh, I was on the sidelines for that in 2005. And then uh, a friend of mine, well, you know, Jim Wyatt, uh, his father yeah. and, and brother and uh, some other friends, uh, we caught a ride on a small plane back to Nashville, and then I did a basketball game that night at Belmont. So, uh, yeah, I did, did two games in that day. And uh, there, there's several times when I've done that, but yeah, it's always uh, it's always fun, and it's always a little bit nerve-wracking, too, worrying that you're not going to make it there in time, but it always seems to work out okay. Uh, coaching news, Rodney Terry becomes official at Texas. Micah Shrewsbury to Notre Dame. Mike Rhodes goes from VCU to Penn State, which to me, that's an interesting move because VCU is a really good program. And uh, Penn, yes. Sta- Penn State is a program that's in a, in a tough neighborhood. I almost wondered, I mean, I'm sure financially it's a move up, but as far as the actual <laughs> job, uh, I, I'm not sure how I would compare those two. Well, he's from Pennsylvania. Yeah. And and uh, I, I think that that was an appeal. I also look in here in my notes. He got a seven-year deal worth more than three million. Yeah. So he's he's a millionaire uh, before he steps on the, the first court and blows his first whistle. So uh, I think he'll be okay. Um, I was surprised how quickly VCU moved to replace him with Ryan Odom. Not that it wasn't a good choice, but just how quickly it happened. I had heard Ryan Odom, who had obviously made history at UMBC by becoming the first number uh, number 16 seed to beat number one, Virginia. But he did a good job at Utah State, got them in the NCAAs. And, and, but I had just heard that he wanted to get back east. And yeah. BCU had no trouble. They kind of went out of the Shaka Smart family. I, I thought they might go with Mike Morrell, who was a Shaka assistant at uh, BCU and Texas and did a great job at UNC Asheville. Had them in the tournament this year, but – but it was Ryan Odom. That was a crazy choice. And then Mark Madsen, Madsen got tired of waiting on his alma mater, Stanford, and and took the arch rival Cal job. Uh, yeah, I was the bay there. I think that's really interesting because you know obviously his coach Mike Montgomery also coached at Cal. 
Um, yeah. but, but they, they were on that and, with that team yeah. in 1998, they went to the final four. They lost by one point in overtime against Kentucky in the, in the semifinals. But Mark Madsen was a, a terrific college player at Stanford, uh, would play nine years in the NBA, was on the staff for the Lakers, took Utah Valley to the NIT semifinals. You had two guys in that NIT final four that uh, made coaching moves. Grant McCaslin went from North Texas after they won the championship, uh, goes from there to Texas Tech. So, yeah, he had those moves with uh, with Madsen and, and Grant McCaslin uh, taking new jobs, too, after the NIT was done. Yeah, I, I thought that Texas Tech made a great hire with McCaslin. He's a Texan and, you know, has won everywhere he's been and, and pretty quickly. You know, it's funny, the Dusty May, we, we might have mentioned this on the pod last week, but the one guy out here is is, is Dusty May, almost a victim of his own success because I think there would have been – uh, a power conference job for him, and there will be in his future. But he'll be back at FAU. I saw where they gave him an extended contract, and deservedly so. Of course, we both know that's not worth the paper it's printed on. If <laughs> exactly. he's got the buyout money. Yeah. But uh, if if he if his team hadn't have been so successful in the tournament, I think he might have gotten one of these power conference jobs. But he's a guy, and I said this four or five years ago. He's a guy to look out for. Uh, as one of the new kind of vanguard of successful head coaches. And again, FAU was another one of those teams that had three-point shooters everywhere you looked. It's just you've got to have that. I'm serious. I've talked to some coaches who, I don't know, maybe weren't that convinced that they had to win with firepower, that, that defense could do it. I've talked to a couple of those coaches in the last week that have changed uh, their thinking and realized that you've got to have the kind of firepower that an FAU had, that that a UConn had. And, and, you know, obviously Villanova proved it twice. And uh, so it's hardly a secret, but some coaches are slower to embrace. Some coaches are, are, you know, more reliant on what they grew up with and what they've won with. But, uh, I don't think there's any doubt. If you if you want to blow through the NCAA tournament like UConn just did, you're going to have some dudes that can step up and make shots, and and they just did. It, there was no none of these agonizing dry spells where if, if you watch, you know, a team like San Diego State or a team like Tennessee even who could score on occasion, but you know, games have become clankathons. You know, UConn never had a clankathon, man. There was somebody always that was ready to, to step up. So I, I think we've seen once and for all uh, the game has, has changed and everybody's going to try to get that that corn-fed dude that shot on a hoop on the back of a barn or, <laughs> or the kid in the inner city that shot a uh, with a chain net or, or no, no net, net at all. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, and, and, and just, you know, shot and shot and shot. Those guys are, are, are like gold, man. They're, they're super valuable. I want to give a shout-out to the NCAA Women's Championship and, and Final Four. I, I watched those games, too. LSU won the title on Sunday. They defeated Iowa 102-85. The game had record-setting TV ratings, and they had big ratings for the games on, on Friday as well. They played those in Dallas. I thought it was unfortunate, the whole smack talk situation with LSU's Angel Reese and Iowa's Caitlin Clark. It got a lot of run. You know, Reese pointed to her finger for a championship ring. And I like good sportsmanship, especially in a situation like that where you're winning a national championship. But at the same time, trash talk to me as part of the game. There's no telling what all had been said leading up to that point from, oh, yeah. from either one of them. 
But I just felt like that took away from what was really a, a terrific Final Four. Iowa knocked off South Carolina, which had been undefeated and ranked number one throughout the season and had won the championship last year. And, and I felt like they really did LSU a favor in a lot of ways because South Carolina had beaten LSU pretty convincingly back earlier during the season. But uh, Iowa knocked them out and took out South Carolina. And, and LSU, I, I felt like, had a lot easier path to win the championship than they would have if they had to play the Gamecocks again. But Kim Mulkey wins her fourth championship. She's a pretty rarefied air in women's basketball. Uh, won three titles at Baylor. Now in year two at LSU, uh, cuts down the nets. But I, I don't know what you thought about the the whole uh, thing with the with, with Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. But I just felt like it took away from what should have been a, a really positive moment for the for the women's game. I think if if one were to judge only by Twitter, you could say it it, it overshadowed it. But I think it was a great Final Four. You know. In all my career, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to get to see some of Pat Summit's best teams. But other than that, I've been so busy with the men's game that I haven't seen much. And I think this this Final Four, obviously, with a, a great and well-coached South Carolina team and Kim Mulkey working her magic, uh, you know, with another portal put-together team at LSU. She got that done amazingly quickly there. And then, of course, Caitlin Clark. I think she's... You know, I called her uh, a cross between Pete Maravich and Larry Bird. I know that's old school, and I know that's men's game, but she's got that that form, that swagger, uh, that courage. And I read a national columnist this morning that said we uh, made a comment like, we all try to pretend smack talk is not involved. No, we don't. We all know it's part of the game, and, and it should be, and and. You know, people trying to get inside your head, that's done from every playground uh, to, to the highest levels of the game on, on the NBA. But uh, my theory is this. Anything goes as long as there's not, you know, uh, vulgarity or whatever during uh, the game. But I think when you win, you need to win with class. I, I just think of a guy like Jack Nicholas, who I, I covered a lot of golf and, and – was around him a lot and just saw how he carried himself in victory and defeat. Uh, few people know this, but he's got 20 uh, second-place finishes, I think it is, in national championships, something ridiculous like that. I may be overstating. It may be in the teens, but it's a ton. And he was always gracious in victory, and he was always gracious in defeat. And I just think that after the game, that kind of talk, gestures, there's no place for it. Now – much as I love Caitlin Clark, I think she's a tad uh, – You may, she may border from cocky to arrogant at times, and I just don't think there's any place for that. She she did that, you can't see me, five yeah, after. Yeah. She dropped a triple-double on Louisville. The, the game's over then. You know, uh, you, you don't have to add to, to a great accomplishment. You let the numbers speak, shake your opponent's hand, and go to your locker room. That's, that's just my opinion. But – uh you know, I, I kudos to LSU, and uh, you know, it, it was it was a great women's Final Four too. I I, I think that the, probably the best team won. Yeah, I, I think in the end they did, and I, I will say also though that that game on Friday night when Iowa beat South Carolina, Caitlin Clark scored forty one points. That that was really Crazy. something to watch. I, they could that's another game they could play that game ten times. South Carolina would probably win seven or eight. But on that night, it was Iowa's night, and they knocked off the uh, defending national champions. Yeah, and, and you know, she, she'd pull up from 35 feet, and 
and or she could blow past anybody on the floor because South Carolina is a bigger team and, and, and she's six feet. And uh, so I was thinking, man, it, if she's going to make 35 footers and you can't stay in front of you, how are you going to deal with yeah. her? And people were saying they, and, they should have doubled her, but when they did that, she just find a teammate and they get a layup. She's a great passer. Yep. And that's what, that's what LSU tried to do with her is they wanted to take away her playmate. Uh, uh, no, so, you know, it, she's just, she's a triple threat and a great player, a transformative player. Uh, even Kim Mulkey told her in the handshake line, you're a generational player. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool to see. All right, Chris, a couple things to finish up here. You mentioned Jack Nichols, and of course it is Masters Week. And it gave me a name to remember. We don't talk a lot of golf on our show, but we both love golf. Gordon Sargent from Vanderbilt, and I know this is a little self-serving because that's where I work, but he got a special invite to play uh, as the NCAA champion from 2022 and the top-ranked amateur player. Uh, he was out in the practice round on Monday, out driving some of the pros, uh, according to uh, some of the things I heard. Uh, it's wow. really neat. I know quite a few folks from from Vanderbilt are going to go down to see him play. They they start the uh, actual tournament on Thursday, but uh, I would say he's going to be coming soon to a PGA Tour near you. He's a fantastic player for a program that's been the number one ranked program as well, and they've won pretty much every tournament they played in this year. Scott Limbaugh is a great coach, but uh, Gordon Sargent going to play as the, the top-ranked amateur and NCAA champion in the, in the Masters this week. And also, I uh, want to talk about the Mandalorian. We'll give you the, the quick update. We always b- bring you our spoiler-filled Mandalorian updates as we uh, make our way through the series. Uh, Mando and, and his crew, uh, they went to assist Grief Karga. They battled it out with some pirates there. And then the episode ended with uh, the Rebel X-Wing pilots trying to figure out what happened with Moff Gideon, who I guess they were transporting. Uh, he got broken out of a shuttle. There was a piece of Beskar embedded in the ship. Chris, what does it all mean? Wow. Uh that rascal is out there uh, uh, somewhere. Uh, OG and Carlo, man, he he plays a villain like nobody else. Uh, obviously, in the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, yep. and and now Gus in, in this, he uh, he's a bad one. Uh, it's it's funny. I, I think what we predicted a couple of weeks ago. There's no question the Mandalorians uh, want to go back and rebuild their planet. They, they were given a plum deal on Navarro, prime real estate. and uh, But I think what we saw there is akin to what we've talked about in college basketball. There's a new way uh, with the Mandalorians. The armorer, she's old school religious fundamentalist, but she told Bo-Katan, take that helmet off and show your face. It's kind of like adjusting to the NIL and the portal. <laughs> there's just there's just a new way of doing it, and and uh, it'll be cool to see how it all works out. I think that anybody who thought that this was just going to be a save the day of the week for Mando and and Grogu uh, uh, maybe wasn't expecting enough of the show. But there's there's an, an overarching thing, and we can't forget we were both shocked by the the cameo of tim meadows yes the ladies man showed up on uh, the mandalorian yeah yeah he was crazy he was he seemed to be an, an overworked new republic uh servant and uh he just didn't have any time for the warnings of, about navarro and <laughs> but you know, the, the mandalorians when when they get together and start using their jetpacks and their flamethrowers and such uh they made short work of the pirates but now we'll see. You know, do they want the prime real estate on 
on Navarro, that's, I don't know, that's kind of like on the Vegas Strip maybe. Uh, or do they want to go back and, and try to rebuild uh, Mandalore? So it's going to be interesting. Uh, as we go to every two weeks now, uh, twice a month rather than every week, uh, we'll have to catch up on two episodes. Uh, but I, by the time we, we do another podcast, who knows what's going to happen, man. Yeah, the one thing I liked about the armorer, uh, you know, she didn't take out the bad guys with a lot of fancy weapons. She took the tongs over there and just just wiped them <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, get and get tongs, you some baby. of that. Okay, I, I I don't know for sure where Moff Gideon is, but I, I have an idea where he was last Tuesday. I, I can tell you for sure where he was last Tuesday. Giancarlo Esposito was at Vanderbilt speaking at a symposium. Uh, Moff Gideon, Gus Fring. I was very disappointed. I, I was doing. I was doing baseball last Tuesday night. I would have gone to this and seen him speak if I if I hadn't been working. Uh, but I thought that was pretty cool that, that he came to town and I saw some people took some photos with him and stuff. He, he evidently is a, is a very fan friendly actor. You see him at all these conventions and things, and I, I loved yeah. him as as Gus Fring on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I've I've binge watched both series over the span of about six months or so here. I, I just yeah. finished the uh, fifth season of Better Call Saul, but he is. Did you like it? Oh, I, I really did. It's a different type series from Breaking Bad. It's kind of the backstory that that leads into the Breaking Bad series. It's a slow burn. It, it's a little slower it. it's a little slower but it's not quite as dark either as, as breaking bad and uh, i've really enjoyed watching all those i've seen all but but the final season of uh better call saul and they're supposed to have that on netflix coming up but he he is an all-time great bad guy i just think that guy's an awesome actor and i thought it was funny as we kind of circle this back to basketball i thought the same thing when i saw rodney terry the now texas head coach that he looked a little like gus fring you know with the glasses <laughs> and i saw somebody say that that rodney terry looked like he was going to go take out the salamanca family and i thought that was one of the funniest <laughs> tweets i saw during the entire ncaa tournament wow now that you mention it with, with his glasses on he he's a he, he looks a little bit like gus fring yep wow that's so cool that he was at vanderbilt uh-huh though. Yeah, I'd you seen... should have ducked out, man. <laughs> yeah, the seventh inning stretch. Yeah, take off during the seventh inning stretch and go see you the take speech. Take the mic, boys. I'll be back. Come back and finish the game. They had enough pitching changes in that game. I probably could have made my way over there and seen some of it. I think it was just down the street. <laughs> Chris, uh, always great. Enjoy our podcast throughout the season as we uh, put the wraps in another year. I know we'll uh, track things as far as the transfers and who's going where and then kind of get into the off season next time. But man, it's always fun. Uh, we've done this show for many years and it's a blast and I, I couldn't pick somebody better to, uh, to do this show with than you. you, you know, your stuff like nobody else and, and you know, everybody period. So it's always, always wonderful. Well, I, I couldn't think of doing it with anybody else, but you, uh, the traffic cop, uh, quick with a pun and, and, uh, love ball and, and, and a dear friend too. So, uh, I hope we can do many more years of this, dude. Me too. He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That's the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.